It's good to be here with you today and uh, worship with you. I am uh, I'm grateful for where we are as a church family and a church body. Last week we had a wonderful time of fellowship on uh, uh, Sunday evening, and those of you that were able to be here, I know that you enjoyed it and uh, had a had a lot of a lot of good interaction, had a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm a little nervous with what's going on in the future with what we're seeing in the news. But I'm just simply, uh, you know, with all of the new outbreaks of whatever. And uh, as we begin today, I just want us to take time to pray for a few moments. Because, you know, this is, a, this is a season and this is a time in our world where today's message is probably as important as it's ever been and maybe more so. Uh, and today we're going to be focusing on uh, that fourth theme of Advent. Uh, we celebrate with the birth of Christ, God's great love. And the mercy and the grace that God poured out upon us, both through the, the manger, but also through the cross. So let's pray together. Father, we come to this place to celebrate Jesus and to worship you today. Lord, you, you are worthy of our worship. That the, the fact that, uh, that you are who you are, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great creator, the one who is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at the same time. Lord, you are worthy of worship simply for those reasons. But we have so many more reasons to come before you today and celebrate. The breath and the life and the love that you have placed in us through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have, for the peace that we can have, the joy that we can have in all circumstances. But Father, thank you that we saw in you the greatest love ever expressed. And Lord, we can express, we can walk in that same kind of love every single day. Let your spirit lead us as we walk through your word together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The, the idea of love is a, is a theme in the gospel of John, and, and that's where you uh, find that, that incredible verse that's been memorized and is mesmerizing uh, throughout all of history. For God so loved that he gave in John chapter 3, verse 16. But probably the greatest fleshing out of this picture of God's love, the greatest uh, expression of that is found in 1 John chapter 4. And now we're going to walk through 1 John chapter 4 today. And the, the message is set up a little bit differently. Uh, it's just we're going to walk through six primary ideas that appear in this text having to do with the greatest love of all, the love that came from God to us through his son, Jesus. I want to read with you the text first. And as always, we'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and that will be what's up on screen. And I'm going to make some reference to some alternate translations as we uh, walk through the text here in a little bit for good reason. But the scripture says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he is in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he is so also we in this world there is no fear in love instead perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment so the one who fears is not complete in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother or sister he's a liar for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Any question what the theme of that text is? If there's any question in the very first verse of this passage, the word agape, Greek the, the primary Greek word used for love in the New Testament appears four times in verse 7 in different forms. Now, you don't see it in the Christian Standard Bible the way that it interprets this or the way that it translates it. But even that very first uh, two words in our English translation, dear friends, is one Greek word. That is, the root of that Greek word is Agape. The root of that word is love. In fact, probably in some of your translations may use this word. Uh, probably a better word-for-word -word translation there is the simple word beloved. And so John's writing, to those who I love, beloved, okay? Let us love because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God. And so John jumps right into it as he, he pushes out or launches into this theme of this picture of God's love. And so I just want to walk through this because in the first two verses uh, here in verse 7 and 8, we see the source of God's love. What is the source of true love? The root, the foundation, the source of true love is God. So he says, beloved let us love one another because love is from God. If you're born of God, you're going to have love. If you know God, you're going to walk in love. Now, our culture's use of the word love it carries a whole lot of different ideas. Uh, I have seen, you know, it's been a couple months now. I saw a lot of people just talking about how much they loved pumpkin spice latte. I don't even know what that is. But apparently, 
pumpkin spice has become a very loved uh, ingredient in various things over the last uh, decade or so. And, and so we'll hear that expression, I love this, or I love that, when what we're really talking about is some type of intense appreciation for it, an intense like. And, and so in our English language, the word love gets used in all kinds of ways. The word loved will be used to express erotic attraction oftentimes. In the Greek, there's a couple different words that are used for those ideas. The, the word agape is God's kind of love where he places supreme value upon someone in most cases. So agape is a choice that God has made to place supreme value upon his creation. And, and so when you see this word love and every use or every appearance of the word love or one of the cognates in the text today has its, comes from that Greek idea agape, not phileo or one of the other Greek ideas. So, uh, beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. God is the very source of love. Now, that's going to be important to hold on to as we walk through this text, because later on in this text, we're going to be commanded to love. And if love is just a feeling that we have about something, you can't command a feeling, right? And if love is, has to do with something that is a matter of taste, you really can't command a matter of taste, you see what I mean there? Even, even if you and I have a, uh, different personalities, and you know, certainly God created us as human beings with varying personalities. There's good reason for this. If we were all the same, uh, we would be boring. If, if we all uh, were people who, who would, are just filled with mercy and just want to help somebody out all the time, then there would not be anybody on the other end of that spectrum who would stand and, and make bold declarations of truth because it's rooted in personality, okay? And, and so in the church, not just in the church, but in the world, but specifically this is important within the church body, we understand that there's people with different personalities, and let me tell you, I found one or two people that just don't like my personality. And there's a couple people uh, around here that maybe I just don't like their personality. But I can still love them. Because there's a difference in taste, what we have a taste for or, or, or what we like, and choosing to place supreme value on another human being in particular, another born-again believer in Jesus Christ who is my brother or sister in Christ. So even whether you like me or not, you're going to find that you're commanded to love me. Well, the good news is you don't have to work up that love because the source for love is a really, really deep well. The source for love is God himself. If you are connected to God, if you are a born-again believer and you're walking in a relationship with a living God, one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the things that will naturally come out of you, produced by the Holy Spirit of the living God, is love. It's so intriguing to me that as we've walked through Advent and after 30 years preaching full-time, 31 years in, in the ministry, 
It's the, this is the first time that I've realized that three of the themes that we celebrate at Advent are fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. The first three uh, fruits of the Spirit are celebrated in Advent as we look forward to the coming of Christ. Because it's in God that we have real joy. It is in Him that we find true peace. And certainly, He and He alone is the source of love. So we don't have to work it up. We don't have to try real hard. We have to enter into a relationship with the living God and walk with Him. That's our source for love. Love one another because love is from God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. You cannot separate the person of God from his choice to love, to place supreme value upon you and I as the crown of his creation. And God is going to put that love on display because the next two verses we find the model of love. How do we know that God loves us? And how do we learn to love as God loves? Look at verse 9 and 10 here. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. We, we, this is Christmas. We're talking about a baby in a manger. We're not talking about you know, the crucified Christ on the cross. Why, why, would we, why would we go to the cross already and start talking about, about Jesus on the cross? Because the reason Jesus was born in the manger was so that he could go to the cross and be a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. You cannot separate the incredible incarnation of Christ in the manger in Bethlehem from the very purpose for which he came into this world. And scripture mentions it and makes it clear over and over, but no more clear than it is here. God's love was put on display. His love was re revealed among us this way. God sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. And that love consists in this. Consists in this. Not that you and I love God. But he loved us and he sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sin. God's kind of love is sacrificial love. God's kind of love is the kind of love that says, I don't have to have it my way I'm gonna do everything I can for you. God, when, when we're called to love, the model that we have for love is what God did for us, what Christ did on the cross. Now the truth is, you and I will not be able to be a sacrifice for anyone else's sin. That's not what I'm talking about as we model love, but the greatest picture is that the pure, perfect, sinless Son of God stepped out of the glories of heaven into the womb of a virgin and walked on this earth until it came time for him to fulfill his mission 
be crucified on the cross and cry out, it is finished. He, he came so that he could die so that we might live through his sacrifice. That's true love. That is the model of love that God has for us. And God calls us to sacrifice our wants, our desires, sometimes our preferences, our, our taste as we show love to one another. And in fact, that's exactly where he goes right here. And John doesn't take long to get there. He says, look, love didn't come into this world because you loved God. You were a mess. You, you and I didn't even know what love really is, what it looks like. We are able to have a relationship with God because God loves us. That's where love began. That's the source of love. God is the source of love, and God modeled love when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And then he jumps straight from there into verse 11, where he once again launches out with, with this vocative, this, this proclamation, beloved, okay? It's translated again here, dear, dear friends, beloved. If God loved, loved us in this way, and let me pause there for just a moment to talk about this type of, of Greek conditional sentence. The Greek word I, epsilon iota there, is often translated, in fact, it's normally translated with the word if. But in many cases, it carries the, the, the idea of since. Not, when, when we use the word if in our modern English language, there, we, we tend to use it as a conditional, in a conditional way. Maybe it is, maybe it didn't. If this happens, you know, that kind of thing. The way that the, the Greek word is used here, it carries a little bit of a different sense in this type of conditional sentence where he says, since God loved us in this way. There's no question that God loved us by sending his son to die for us on the cross as a atoning sacrifice for our sin, okay? So, so it's not conditional in that way. It's, it's only saying since God loved us in this way, since God showed us what love is by sending his son to die on a cross for us, this is what I want you to hear because there's no question about this. There's no argument. There's no other opinion that matters on this issue. I'll sit down and I'll talk to you about theology sometimes. We can have different opinions. But on this issue, John says there's no other opinion. Since God loved us in this way, we must love one another. Must. Now I want to dig into it for just a little bit. Because the word that, that is translated, we must love one another there, is a Greek word, ophilo, is the root of the uh, uh, of the uh, verb, and it means you owe it. You owe it. God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross for you. God loved me so much that even while I was a sinner, He was brutally tortured, beaten took my sin upon his back and died. That's how he showed his love for me. That's how he didn't just display it, but that's how he loved me. Since he loved me in that way, I owe you sacrificial 
love. That's what the text is saying. Now, particularly, this passage is speaking to what we owe one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We owe it to one another to love each other. We owe it to one another to give mercy. We owe it to one another to show grace. It's an obligation that we carry when we, when we enter into God's family, when we become a part of his people, when we're part of the body of Christ. He is now our head. He has shown us what love is. He is love. He's shown us what love is. He's shown us how to love, and we have an obligation to love each other. Back up for just a moment, because that does not mean that you and I are always going to have the same personality. We don't necessarily have an obligation to like the same things. We don't, have to have, we don't have an obligation to agree on everything. We don't have an obligation to uh, have the same taste in food or in, in sports or whatever it happens to be. That, that is not the obligation. But we are obliged, we owe it according to God's word. If we have received the love of God, we owe it to give each other love. Think through that for a little bit because ultimately we are without a choice if we're children of God. And that's what John harps on and he beats into our head through this text. We owe it to one another because this is how people are going to see God. Look at verse 12 there. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever really seen the face of God. They've seen God displayed in the flesh through Christ. No one has actually seen the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God. But if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. How are people going to see God? How are, how are other brothers and sisters going to see God? They're going to they're get a glimpse of God through your love. And so he goes into the, 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 that a little bit deeper in the next uh, four verses. He fleshes this out. And so the first, fourth point is this. Love is the greatest F, evidence of true disciples or of true discipleship. This is how we know that we remain in him and he is in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that God the Father sent his son into the world uh, as the world's savior. And so he, he pushes this forward and he, he basically says that it's only through love that as you love one another that the world is going to know that you're my disciple and that the world is going to know that I am who I say I am. It reminds me of Jesus the night before he died. He was still in the upper room with his disciples and they had taken the Lord's Supper and they were getting ready to uh, begin to move from there out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was going to be arrested. In the last uh, couple of the last verses in John chapter 13, he tells his disciples this, I give you a, co- a new command. Love one another. Well, you had seven, 11 guys still there with Jesus that had Various backgrounds and various personalities. The only thing that held them together was Jesus, okay? And he was about to go. He was about to die. But you had Matthew as a tax collector. You had a handful of fishermen over here. You had people from various walks of life that Jesus had brought together in that, in that core group of 11 disciples. And he's, he's about to die. And he tells them this. I'm giving you a commandment. 
love each other. You're about to be in this together. Love each other. Now, we know that they didn't always agree. In fact, I just wrote a, a finished writing a Sunday school lesson for the last Sunday before Easter that you, you know, it'll be a while before you get there, about two of the, the greatest apostles of the, of the early New Testament area, Paul and Barnabas, and their sharp disagreement that, that happened. They, we don't always agree. Even the, those who, who walk closest to Christ won't always agree. But Jesus' command remains regardless. Love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. Same thing John tells us later on in 1 John chapter 4. Jesus said that night in the upper room before they went out to the garden. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you love one another. And then he tells them why. Because... By this, everyone will know if you're my disciple. How's the world going to know that Jesus is who he says he is and that we are followers of Christ? They're going to know it by our love for each other. A great tragedy throughout church history Especially in our day where with social media, uh, public uh, arguments can go public so quickly and, and, and go out to such an extent is the fussing and fighting between fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on social media. Put on display for the whole world to see, not just that we disagree, but expressed in an incredible, insensitive lack of love. If you wish to receive love from God, and you have received love from God, you are obligated to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have received mercy from the cross, God looking at your sin and deciding not to hold you accountable, guilty for your sin. He has shown mercy to you for your sin. You are obligated to show mercy to brothers and sisters in Christ who have sinned. Whether it's against you or whether it's against someone else. You're obligated because you have known the mercy of God. If you've experienced the grace of God, God extending to you favor for some, in a way that you don't deserve it, God gifting you something that you don't deserve, I believe that you and I are obligated to put God's love on display by showing grace to those who don't deserve grace. That's true love. That's the kind of love that God has for us that he put on display in the manger and on the cross. John says, if you're a recipient of God's love, you owe it to your brothers and sisters to love them because this is how the world's gonna know that you are mine, that I am God and that you are mine when you love one another. I wish I could just stand there and look in the mirror and preach that message all day long. Because I'm not just preaching this message to my 
my brothers and sisters in Christ here before me in this congregation. I'm preaching it to me. It's easy to love those who love us back, isn't it? But what are we going to do with those who disagree? What are we going to do with those people who claim to be Christians, but we don't even like them? What are we going to do with those people who are Christians, but they've wronged us, or we've got some misunderstanding? What are we going to do with those people? If we understand how much God loved us through sending his son, and he loves us today by not holding it against us, we will love. It's our, our obligation to love is not predicated on anything else other than God loved us first. But his love for me ought be enough for me to show love to my other brothers and sisters in Christ. Fifth, love gives us confidence in the day of judgment. This is a, a strange kind of unrelated turn that John takes in this text, but it's not completely unrelated. Because he's talking to us about walking in such a relationship with a holy, awesome, mighty God who put his love on display by sending his son as an atoning sacrifice. Some of your versions might have used the word propitiation. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Jesus took my sin on his back, took it to the cross, and paid the price for my sin. Jesus did that for me. And because he did that for me, I can stand in confidence on judgment day before God's throne. Not because I was a good person, not because I didn't sin, but because the, the very God himself, the very son of God, whom I have a relationship with, went to the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. Look at verse 17 and 18 there. Or John fleshes this out. He says, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. In what is love made complete? Back up just a little bit. Understanding that God is love, us walking in a relationship, remaining in God, who is love, God's love remaining in us, and us remaining in a relationship with him. So as we walk in a relationship with a holy living God, there's going to come a day when we've taken our last breath on earth and we've entered into his presence and he's going to look at us sinners. Sinners deserving of death and eternal separation from God because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he's going to look at us as friends and family members whom he has already forgiven. And in that day, there will be no fear. You know, I'll confess, at any time I'm driving down the highway and I see red and blue lights come on behind me, anytime, I'm a little nervous about it. Even if I know that I'm driving under the speed limit, I haven't done anything wrong, I'm, you know, you, you, you all kind of get that little feeling a little bit, right? You, because you, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. What, what John's trying to communicate here is you know you already know the outcome. You already know the judge. In fact, you already know that you're guilty, but it's already been dealt with. The price for your sin's already been paid. So there is no judgment. When we walk in that love relationship with the living God, 
It's not rooted in rules, regulations, legalism, or law. When we walk in a relationship with a living God who has sent his son to die for our sins and we're walking in his love in a relationship with him, we don't have to worry about the legalities, the fine print. We don't have to worry about you know, subsection C of the law over here that maybe we didn't get or we didn't understand. We don't have to worry about that, that speed limit sign that honestly I just didn't see because that big truck was in the way and blocking it when I came into town, right? We don't have to worry about unforeseen or unknown surprises. It's already been settled. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve eternal life. If it was up to me and my ability, my character, when I take my last breath on this earth, I would spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's already settled. There's no question about that. I don't deserve anything else because of my sin, because of my history of sin, because of the sin that's in my heart, the sin that's gonna happen in the future. I don't deserve anything else. But whether or not I'm a part of this eternal family with an eternal inheritance is not based on my sin at all. Not one bit. God himself put his love on display by sending his son to pay the penalty for my sin. All of it. And, and so, the, when, when judgment comes, verse 17, in the day of judgment, I stand in confidence. My sin's already been exposed, but my sin's already been paid for. That's what matters. There'll be no surprises. There's no fear. There's nothing hidden from God's eyes anyway. He, he knew my sin. I, I've seen a meme that's going around re recently among, especially of, uh, I've seen him especially with pastors that have been tossing this around. It, it basically communicates, God already know, knew the stupid things you were gonna do before he called you. He knew some of the stupid stuff I was gonna do. He knew the mistakes I was gonna make. He knew my sin and he chose to love me anyway and he settled the issue on the cross and he poured out his blood so that I don't have to be afraid. And so I can walk in a love relationship with God not motivated by fear of punishment, not motivated by, a, by an unseen set of rules and regulations. The only thing that motivates me to love and to show mercy and to show grace ought to be the fact that he loved me first. That he loved me in that way is what John says. Yes, I owe a debt. I owe a debt that I could never repay. The only way that I can, I can try to repay that debt is to love others, even those I don't like. To love them in the name of the God who loved me and sent his son to die for me. The greatest motive for love is God's love. Look at verse 19. We love because he loved us first. We don't have to flesh it all out again. We've done it all through this text. And so John comes to verse 19, really, 19 through 21 is kind of a summary. 
I set aside verse 19 and, and made it the sixth point. Because our greatest motivation for love is God love me first. That ought to be enough. A God who is holy. Now think about that. I'm not holy. I'm not. I'm a mess. Kirby's a mess. I like picking on Kirby. I do that because it's hard to find somebody that's a bigger mess than me that's in the, that was in the ministry, okay? <laughs> Kirby's a mess. And Kirby and I disagree on some soteriological uh, ideas, theology. And, and so it'd be really easy for us to fuss and fight and, and, and become jerks over where we don't agree. But I love the man. I love him because we have something in common. We're family. We love Jesus. And, and we know that he loved us. It, we know that both of us would be going to hell if it wasn't for Christ. So my, my motive for loving him is not because I agree with him on everything. My motive for loving him is because of God. Because he loved us first. And then John summarizes this text, verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. If you say that you're walking in a love relationship with God, and you can honestly hate brothers and sisters in Christ, God's word says you're a liar. You're a liar. He doesn't pull any punches there. You cannot be walking in a love relationship with the living God and hate his children. If you're struggling with that, you need to go to the Lord and you need to deal with it and you need to get past it. Something is wrong in your relationship with God if you cannot love your brothers and sisters in Christ. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has not seen, cannot love God whom he has seen. That sounds harsh. But the truth is sometimes harsh. I'll back up again and remind you. In Galatians 5, Paul says, the first fruit of the Spirit the first thing in that list of what the spirit of the living God will produce in his followers is love. I believe that that love will go beyond your brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? I believe that when God begins to fill you with his love, he gives you not only a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but he'll give you a love for the lost. He'll give you a love for those who aren't followers of Christ. I don't know if, if, if all of you have seen it, but if you haven't and you, you have access to YouTube or Facebook, go out and find the video of the young high school girl whose father was a mesquite police officer who was killed. There's a, a short version of it, minute and a half, of her standing at the pulpit talking about how she knows that she's, she's supposed to hate the man that killed her father. But the only thing she feels for that man is she wishes that he could come to know Jesus and the love of Christ. It's a very moving and, and heart-wrenching minute and 22 seconds to watch. But it's a picture of what God does in a heart. Now, that's not what 
James is, I mean, John's telling us here. John here, and we'll stick with the text, John here in verse 20 is not telling us that if you, if you don't love everybody that you're not of God. What John is telling us is if you're telling me that you walk with God and you're a part of his family and you hate your brothers and sisters in Christ, something's wrong with your relationship with God. You're not walking with him. Here, John's not making that a litmus to loving the world or, or those that are lost in the world. He's not making that a litmus test of whether or not you're walking with Christ. But he is making this a litmus test. If you can't love your brothers and sisters in this room, if you can't love your brothers and sisters who are followers of Christ, there's a problem with your relationship with God. That's harsh, but it's truth. And that really, I say that's, a, that's summarized because that's basically what he's trying to communicate in this whole text God's, God is our source of love. God is our model for love. God has commanded us to love. God has told us that the greatest evidence that, that the world is going to know that you're one of his disciples is when you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. His love is going to give you confidence in the day of judgment. His love is the motive for you to love. And so he's going to summarize that and say, look, God is love, and if you, if you can't, Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're lying. You're not walking in a relationship with God. Because we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a direct command. There's no getting around it. There's no negotiation. It's his command for each of us. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.